Today's message was recorded live at the Middletown Seventh-day Adventist Church of Louisville, Kentucky, a safe environment where people relationships become kingdom relationships. Find us online at www.friendlychurch.com. Happy Sabbath. It's so good to see this congregation almost filled. I think this is the highest number we've ever had. I'm so excited. I am so excited. Pastor Dwight Nelson, I don't know how many of you know Pastor Dwight Nelson. I know him. I've worked under his leadership. He's the senior of the Pioneer Memorial Church on the campus of Andrews University. He travels a lot and uh, to, he's invited to speak to conventions, to camp meetings. In one of his travels, he um, was flying from, he was about to fly from South Bend, Indiana, which is the closest airport to Andrews University, to Chicago to connect with another flight. He was assigned the last row seat. And as he walks up the aisle, he noticed that a gentleman in a suit and tie already occupied the aisle seat. So he crawls over him onto the other seat, um, the window seat. This man has tucked up his uh, ticket stop onto the frame of his glasses, no doubt as an act of public protest over his seating assignment on the back of the plane. And uh, uh, looking for an excuse to visit with him, if you've, if you've met Pastor Dwight Nelson, he is a people's person. He will always find a reason to connect with people. He goes and, and he taps him on the shoulder and says, um, uh, are we supposed to put our stubs in our glasses like you do? <laughs> and he laughed and then, um, and then they began a conversation. This man was a management consultant for Fortune 500 companies. Pastor Nelson was on his way to a speaking engagement. And the man asked, and uh, what will you be speaking on? The 11th commandment, replied Pastor Nelson. He looks at him and says, good grief. We have a hard time with the 10. What would we ever do with the 11th? Very good question, right? We will attempt to answer that question today. But before I do, I want to ask you. You've been here every Sabbath and you've heard me preaching. Do you know the 11th commandment? What is the 11th commandment? commandment. We started for a, a, a few weeks. What is the 11 commandments? Um, I introduced the 11 commandment as, he, in, as Jesus introduced to his disciples back on April, April 17. And then last week, we looked at a different context, a different perspective on the 11 commandment. See, the 11 commandment is the one that Jesus introduced to his disciples immediately after Judas left the upper room. And this is in the context of the upper room lessons that we've been studying, uh, chapters 13 to 17 from John, but it's more, more likely chapter 13, 14. 
that's the upper room chapters. Open your, uh, open your Bibles with me to John 13. John 13, beginning with verse 31. John 13, beginning with verse 31. I will be using the New King James Version of the Bible. So, John writes, So, when he had gone out, speaking of Judas, when Judas gone out, Jesus said, Now the Son of Man is glorified, and God is glorified in him. And scroll down three verses to verse 34, and here you have the 11th commandment. A new commandment I give to you, that you love one another as I have loved you, that you also love one another. And this is so important for those who claim to be his disciples that Jesus continues, verse 35, by this, all, how many? All will know that you are my disciples if you have love for one another. As I said, on April 17, I introduced the 11th commandment to you as part of this upper room teachings. Last week, we looked at a different perspective on the 11th commandment, on church as the God's ER, God's hospital for sinners. And today, we're going to look at how to walk in it. You and I will learn how to live it. Let's pray. Dear Lord, we come to you this morning. Because we, we have learned from you. We have imagined ourselves being in the upper room with your disciples and you have taught us. And today you want to bring us the how-to. How can we live this 11th commandment, this new commandment that you're teaching us? So Lord, open our hearts to understand how to practice it in our lives. And Lord, please help us to live it. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. It was uh, Edwina's first day of school at the New York Conservatory of Music. Early that morning at home, she prayed that God would shine through her to all the people she will meet that opening day. Riding the crowded early morning subway to downtown New York, she got off and hurried to her music classes. That was the first day. Several weeks passed, and they have a day off, and Edwina decides to go back downtown to the School of Music, to the Conservatory of Music, and practice her vocal routines in one of the conservatory practice rooms. And if you all have been to college or to a music uh, a, a school building, you understand what she's talking about here. They have those small rooms that you can yell as hard as you can and nobody will hear. So she goes there to, to really be by, by, by herself. With students away, she, she could practice alone and 
uninterrupted. But soon, her melodious voice is interrupted. She suddenly hears as if she hears some distant voices. Strange, she thought. No one was supposed to be in the building that day, but sure enough, there were voices. Angry voices. Voices that seemed to be coming nearer down the empty hallway. The sounds of the heated argument grew louder and louder until it sounds as if the argument is right on the other side of her door. And finally, with a bang, the door flows, flies open and they burst in. Four of them, fellow music students. Oh, I knew you were here, a young man said. And without apology, he continued, see, we're having an argument over which is more powerful for the good, black magic or white magic. There were a group of, of, of young witches and warlocks, and they've been debating the values of the occult. Edwina somehow recovering from her shock, asked, well, what's that have to do with me? I know nothing about black and white magic. Oh, but you know, you, we know you're someone special, the young man said, because I remember seeing you on the first day of classes. I happened to be on the subway station when you got off the subway that morning, and when I saw you, there was a glowing light that surrounded you and seemed to go ahead of you. And Edwina asked, but how did you know I was here in the building today? Well, we were outside the conservatory a few minutes ago arguing when I noticed an unusual light shining out from under the conservatory door. I recognized it, the young man said, as the same light that surrounded you the day you got off the subway. I know you had to be inside. And I know this is a humble testimony of Edwina Humphrey Flynn. She's an Adventist classical vocalist. And she discovered that the light of her friend Jesus was being present in her life. And the light was actually being seen. What she had prayed for that morning had been supernaturally answered. Now, the question for you, or, uh, for you and me today is, wouldn't you like, wouldn't I like to experience such closeness with Jesus that His life, His light, His love would be seen? would actually radiate from your life, from my life, too. And you may think, Pastor Marius, yes, I want his light. I want his love to radiate from, from my life. How can I do it? How can we experience that kind of closeness with Jesus? 
How can we experience such closeness to Jesus that it practically shines from you wherever you go? Family room, classroom, workroom, boardroom, and so on. Because let's be honest, there is simply no other way for the 11th commandment of Jesus to come true in the life of any of us than to shine it out. I give you a new commandment, Jesus said, that you love one another. Just as I have loved you, you also should love one another. By this, everyone will know that you are my disciples if you have love. For one another. The only way the world will ever recognize the people of God at the end of time will be by the way they have, they have love for each other and the world around them. Jesus gives no other identifying mark than bold, radical love. So the question is, how can we love? Really, truly love others like Jesus did. In our study of the upper room lessons that Jesus taught, we're going to jump over chapter 14 in order to bring the how to this lesson for the 11th commandment. We're going to kind of wrap it up today. We're going to return to chapter 14 later. See, most people think that... Uh, John 13 to 17 all happened in the upper room. I thought so too, until I realized something. But in reality, when you put the synoptic gospel accounts beside John's gospel, you discover only chapters 13 and 14 took place in that upper room. The rest of the red printed words of Jesus in chapter 15 through 17 were spoken and prayed under a Full Passover moon outdoors. And the clue is, it's easy to miss. The last line of chapter 14, where Jesus says to, 11, to the 11 disciples who were left in the room, Rise, let us be on our way. And so they do. So Jesus leads them out through the wooden door, down to the clay stairs, into the night, through the shadows of the night, Jesus leads them through the eastern gate towards their familiar place across the valley. They've been there before. They know it. It is the Garden of Gethsemane. And somewhere along that descending and crooked pathway, the 12 men, 11 disciples and Jesus, they pass near a vineyard. And for Jesus, the master teacher, this moment becomes the perfect setting for them to teach an important truth he wanted to teach them. See, earlier that evening, he had commanded them, love one another. And he informed them that such love would be the convincing evidence to the world to recognize them as his disciples. Now, at last, he is ready for further vital instructions on the how 
how they could love just like he loves. So that's why we're here today, too. We want to find out how can we love like Jesus loved. And so Jesus step, steps off the pathway. Jesus reaches for one of the vine and holding the vine in his hand, the hand that soon would be pierced, he begins to teach. And you find those words in John 15, beginning with verse 1. So Jesus holds the vine with his hand and says, I am the true vine. And my father is the vine dresser. Every branch in me that does not bear fruit, he takes away. And every branch that bears fruit, he prunes that it may bear more fruit. John, 13 verse, John 15 verse 3, you are already clean because of the word which I have spoken to you. Abide in me and I in you. As the branch cannot bear fruit of itself unless it abides in the vine, Neither can you unless you abide in me. And Jesus stops for a second. He looks at the vine. He looks at the disciples and says, John 15 verse 5, I am the vine, you are the branches. He who abides in me and I in him bears much fruit. For without me, you can do nothing. And verse 9, he says, As the Father loved me, I also have loved you. Abide in my love. And then you scroll down to verse 12, and he says, This is my commandment, that you love one another just as I have loved you. That's John 15, 1 to 5, verse 9 and verse 12. You know, for every loyal and patriotic Jew, this was not a new metaphor. They loved the vine metaphor. In fact, during the, the time of the Maccabeans, Israel's coins had a stamp of the vine on them. See, Israel was God's true vine. That's how they declared. But tonight, Jesus flips the coin right up with the announcement that tomorrow's victim on Calvary is the only true vine that shall ever be. I am the true vine. You are the branches. Abide in me as I abide in you. Through this solitary metaphor, Jesus presents the secrets of eternity with one single teaching. And I know you've heard this before this year. I preached it, Lloyd preached it, and other people preached it. It's not new. Earlier, Jesus said, well, but one, one very interesting thing is this. Jesus uses a word that he used in the dim light of the upper room. And now, ten times he turns that noun into a verb. 
See, earlier Jesus said, and we just skipped over chapter 14. Jesus says in chapter 14, in my father's house are many mansions, right? He picks up this word mansion and he says, abide in me as I abide in you. These words, mansion and abide, come from the same Greek word which means, and which could make the translation, mansion in me as I will mansion in you. Or take up residence in me as I take, take up residence in you. That's why Eugene Peterson, in his paraphrase translation, he chose to translate this line with, Live in me, make your home in me, just as I do in you. No matter how you express it, this dynamic teaching is clear. Jesus is offering every follower of his an intimacy of relationship and a union so close, it can be likened only to the bonded connection between a living branch and the life-giving vine. I am the vine, Jesus said. You are the branches. There, be, there can be no closer or more intimate connection than this. Oswald Chambers, in his book, My Atmosphere for His Highest, describes this connection with these words. It is a joy to Jesus when a disciple takes time to step more intimately with him. Fruit bearing is always mentioned as a manifestation of an intimate union with Jesus Christ. So close is the friendship that he's offering that Jesus actually described it as blossoming into a juicy fruit. Those who abide in me and I in them bear much fruit, Jesus says. It doesn't take a, a, a botanist to, to know that the sole object of branches' connection to the vine is for the sake of growing fruit. Branches exist for no other purpose. They live to bear fruit. Only in uh, Aesop's fable would you read of a branch that severed itself from the vine and ran away from the home to bear fruit on its own. But severed branches are dead branches. That's what I preached earlier. Because apart from me, Jesus says, you can do how much? Nothing. And to make certain we understand the word nothing, John inserted a double negative. In Greek, it would be like literally, apart from me, you can do no, not, nothing. Like the man who asked, which part of no don't you understand? The N or the O. Without me, you can do no, no thing, nothing, nada. This is such a radical word in our self-sufficient post-modern generation. We live in the most individualistic and self-dependent society in history. 
this new millennial generation has fooled itself into believing it can solve or at least resolve the cosmic problems of this universe. Yeah, we're thinking that we can keep on developing. We're going to get to Mars. We're going to establish uh, subdivisions on Moon. I was presenting the way we do Holy Spirit small groups um, to someone this early this week where they are fun functioning as learning as well as support groups. It is my personal conviction that salvation is personal. It is our response to our personal Savior. But walking through the pearly gates will not be independent. Making it to the end will not be an independent fight, but rather a collaborative march of more than one individual supporting each other for the right cause. That's how God kept his people all through the ages. When I was at the seminary, I made a, a, a study, a research study on Sabbath keeping. And, G, and, and God had pockets of people keeping the Sabbath all the way from creation to our day. But it was uh, never just one single individual. There were pockets of people that kept the Sabbath. So... It is a collective work. We live in the most self-proclaimed, self-sufficient society that has ever existed. But the truth is, when you look at our economic and technological meltdowns, when you look at our medical and social epidemics, they are nothing but a nagging reminder that our self-sufficiency is as secure as a stock certificate, right? My friends, until we learn that we are nothing without Jesus, we will never discover the secret to spiritual life and spiritual growth. Apart from me, Jesus says, you can do nothing. If we could grasp only this truth that we're nothing without Jesus, then then we could grasp the reality that we are everything with Him. Because Jesus is everything. The freedom to live and the freedom to love would be ours. There is a true story. That's another music story. Um, or from the music world, I should say. Um, some of you know the great conductor Arturo Toscanini. He was rehearsing Beethoven's Ninth Symphony with the New York Philharmonic Orchestra. And when the maestro had determined that the orchestra was ready, he directed them one more time, and this time through the entire composition without stopping. And when the last note was played, silence filled the rehearsal hall. Then Toscanini spoke into that silence, says, Who am I? He asked. And no one answered. Who is Toscanini? He said. I am nobody. But then 
With a wave of the baton, Toscanini exclaimed into the silence, It is Beethoven! He is everything! My friends, until we grasp this truth that Jesus is everything, we will never discover the secret to radiating love to one another and to the world. Think of the greatest Christians you have ever known. Can you put your finger on an identifiable common denominator to their lives? The more I think, the more I reflect on this question, the more I concluded that abide in me as I abide in you is the secret to the passion in the lives of the greatest Christians ever lived on planet Earth. Martin Luther, John Wesley, Dwight L. Moody, Hudson Taylor, Oswald Chambers. These all Christians who have been intimately connected with Jesus, connected with the vine. And if you look at the right uh, writings of the one whom I consider myself the greatest Christian and the greatest evangelist of all times, when you look at Paul's writings, he writes in Colossians 3.11, Christ is, Christ is all in all. Jesus was everything to Paul and all these mighty men of faith. Jesus was everything. We could call that Christ saturation. They had a Christ saturation life. These people, these people were like a sponge. You know the secret of the sponge, don't you? <laughs> it is its mysterious way of absorbing and retaining water. And not just the water, it can hold, depending on the size, a lot of amount of water. How does the sponge do it? Apparently, the sponge is filled with hundreds of small, empty chambers. When the sponge comes in contact with water, and I've got some water here. When the sponge comes in contact with water, it is the nature of the sponge to immediately begin to absorb the wa that water, chamber by chamber, drop by drop. The longer the sponge is immersed in the water, the more deeply the water is able to penetrate the innermost chambers until eventually the sponge becomes utterly saturated with the water. Every chamber filled to the max, every single one of those chambers filled to overflowing. Look at this. Jesus said, abide in me, and I in you. Isn't this the Christ saturation he's talking about? Like 30 sponges. These people in the Christians, in Christendom, they kept throwing open every 
every chamber of their heart and minds and lives until they were saturated with Christ. So my question for you today, 2,000 years after Jesus left the earth, how can you and I be filled with Christ? What does it mean to be filled with Christ? Jesus said in John 14, 16, 17, I will pray the Father and he will give you another helper that he may abide with you forever. Verse 17, John 14, 17, the spirit of truth whom the world cannot receive because it neither sees him nor knows him, but you know him, for he dwells with you and he will be in you. Who is Jesus talking about here? The Holy Spirit. My friends, there is a natural progression understanding the 11th commandment of Jesus and how to actually live it. Love one another is the identifying mark of his disciples. You can, by the way, you can listen to that sermon if you haven't been here or if you missed April 17. I talked about that. Love one another is the identifying, the only identifying mark of his disciples. No other doctrine will be the identifier. Only the love for one another. That's why I say we receive Jesus as our Savior individually, or we're going to walk through the pearly gates together. Love one another is what the world will recognize us for. How can you do it? Only by being connected with the vine. The true vine is Jesus. Now, who is this connector that makes possible the abide in me and I in you? Jesus said it, the Holy Spirit. In fact, Jesus said that when you abide in him, you and I produce fruit. The fruit is love. This word fruit that Jesus is using in John 15 is the same word that the Apostle Paul is using in Galatians 5.22 when he describes the fruit of the Holy Spirit. The fruit of the Spirit is, and he begins with what? With love. Because it is from love that stems all the other qualities of the fruit of the Spirit. When we have love, we have joy, we have peace. We have patience, we are kind, we are faithful, we are gentle, and we have self-control. Only as we are filled with the Holy Spirit, because it is the Holy Spirit dispensation that we live in. See, when Jesus took the human form, He gave up His ability to, to be with all of us at the same time. But he asked the Father, he said, I will not leave you orphans. He asked the Father to give us the Holy Spirit. And through the Holy Spirit, we are connected with the vine. We abide in Jesus and Jesus abides in us. My friends, it is no brainer. How can we love like Christ? When we have Christ in us. 
And when we have Christ in us, when we are, we are filled with the Holy Spirit, love one another as I have loved you. Do you want to be able to love one another? Even the unlovable, I would say. Then ask God to fill you with His Spirit. And the first instinct He will give you, the first impulse He will give you will be love. Before I end, I want to ask you to look at th this sponge right here. I don't have this on my script, but I think this is very important. I was thinking about it as I was preaching, in fact. Uh, this, this sponge right here is teaching us more lessons than we think. First, this, this, this sponge right here, without connection with the water, stays dry. First lesson we learn from this sponge is that you cannot give what you don't have. Right? So we've been talking about love. And as I said last week, I can preach until I get blue in the face. But if I don't touch, if the Holy Spirit doesn't touch me, I have nothing to give. So we got to ask to be filled. And then it has to, to be in connection with the water. And I would say the second lesson is the more time it spends in the water, the more it absorbs, right? The more time you spend in study and Bible and prayer and ask the, the Spirit to fill you, the more love you will be given, the more you have to give. And Apostle Paul, see, he says, be filled. Do not be drunk with the wine, but be filled with the Spirit, he says in Ephesians 5. And that's the analogy that he's using. Because a drunkard, when he's filled with the wine, it takes possession of all his body. Nothing is left without being affected by the alcohol. So, he says, be filled with the Spirit. When you are filled with the Spirit, you have something to give. It comes out of you. Well, the last lesson is we ought to be careful because our humanness, the way God created us, we are created to adapt. And absorb. We can choose today and we can choose every day. Do I want to be filled with His Spirit? Or do I want to be filled with something else? If we're going to be filled with something else, that's what we're going to give. If we're going to be filled with His Spirit, the first feeling, the first sentiment, the first quality of the Spirit comes to us will be love. Love for one another. And that's how you can live the 11th commandment. May God all bless us as we try to live His commandments. Amen.